Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Discover Springford podcast. This is a special bonus episode. I recently appeared on the Two Dates and a Dash podcast with Matt Kubler. For those of you that have been following along our third season, Matt Kubler was a guest this season and he was gracious enough to allow me to appear on his podcast. This episode is raw, it's truthful, it's the most honest and open I think I've been publicly about my journey and uh, I just caution you, there are some sensitive subjects that we talk about in this episode, so you might want to listen to it without your kids present first, but I really hope that it inspires you. I also want to let you know that this Sunday night is my concert at the Tuned Up Brewing Company in Spring City. It's a pay-what-you-will event. It's January 12th, 2020, 6.30 p.m., and I would love to see you there. So, Remember, Tuned Up Brewing Company, January 12th, 2020 at 6.30 p.m. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Kubler on the Two Dates and a Dash podcast. On this episode of the Two Dates and a Dash podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to my buddy Jeff Desiato. Jeff is an actor, a podcast host, a content creator, a real estate agent, the guy is uh, just an amazing talent, and uh, this the story he shared tonight is going to be one that inspires you and, and helps you understand that life isn't simply a matter of moments. It's a bunch of moments tied together into a journey. So please sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the Two Dates in a Dash podcast. What is up, podcast land? Welcome to another episode of the Two Dates in a Dash podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kubler. Before I introduce my buddy, Jeff Desiato, who uh, you guys are going to love. Um, if you if you pay attention to my social media, you remember I was on a podcast called Discover Springport, and Jeff is the host and creator of that. So um, I'm really excited to pay back the favor and have him on the show. Um, the show sponsored, sponsored by me, my own company, because I'm a entrepreneur and I can do that. So it's sponsored by E4Strength, e4strength.com. E4Strength is the leader in eccentric strength training manufacturing. We have uh, patents, actually three patents, on a piece of technology that allows us to um, essentially offload weight in either the lowering or raising direction when you're lifting weight. So imagine if you have a squat rack and you have a barbell and you put 400 pounds on the squat rack, you can lower 400 pounds and with our device, raise 250 pounds. And conversely, you can also offload weight on the way down. So if you have a lot of lifters and uh, if you're like in a high school or college program and you want to get a bunch of people through and not take the weight plates off, that 400 pounds that's on the bar can feel like to an, up to 250 pounds less. So uh, it's really cool as far as strength development. Um, the longer you can put the body under heavier load during the holding and lowering phase, the more muscle fiber you tear. So that's why it's important. Um, people will use chains and bands and spotters um, in the past, and it's just an inefficient way of doing it. And it certainly is not a way that you can use science to your advantage. So if anybody wants to learn more about that, go to eforcestrength.com. Um, anybody wants to learn more about me, um, my background, what I do as a speaker, my leadership development, my mentorship program, uh, they can go to the website, mattkubler.com, C-U-B-B-L-E-R.com. Uh, I think that's it. So without further ado, my man, Jeff, how are you? Good. How are you? <clears throat> I'm awesome, man. I'm excited. Um, even though we're only probably a half a mile away from each other, we're doing yeah. <laughs> um, I'm excited to have you on the show. Thank you. 
No, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. I've actually, um, for the many podcasts that I myself have posted or created, this is my first time appearing on someone else's, so I appreciate oh, the opportunity. Virgin um, voyage. Yeah, exactly. So I'm used to kind of driving the conversation and then sitting back and letting the other person talk. So we'll see how this uh, this goes, the, on, yeah. being on the other end of it. So. Well, I'm going to make it as painless as possible because <laughs> I only asked one real question that I have planned as you know, and uh, so I'm going to lead off with you just like I do everybody else. Mm -hmm. Who is Jeff Desiato? Um, first of all, I would consider myself a man of faith. Uh, I was, uh, I've been born uh, uh, born again Christian, um, was raised in a Christian household. Uh, I'm a husband and a father of two sons, Jesse and Leland. They are 11 and 9 years old. Um, that is what kind of informs how I live my life uh, ultimately, and then everything else is an outflow of that. Um, so that what those things would be, those endeavors, uh, it's actually kind of streamlined a little bit uh, from where it has been in the past. I've kind of been a jack of all trades, bouncing around, doing a lot of different things. Um, just to kind of give you a backstory, um, I, as I said, I grew up in the church. I was always involved and from a very young age was, was working in my church and doing various things. One of the things that I did was um, right out of high school, I came on board, uh, the church staff uh, had a radio program and I started to uh, produce the radio program to replace um, a gentleman who unfortunately uh, was diagnosed with a brain uh, tumor and, and passed away. Um, but I was kind of brought in to ease the transition on a temporary basis, which ended up being a two year uh, run of doing, doing the voiceovers, producing this radio program with no experience whatsoever um, and fell in love with the medium of radio uh, content creation, as we now call it. But back then it was, this was like 2001. Um, like I said, I was, I just graduated high school and I was just kind of thrown into the mix. Uh, from that uh, experience, I really started to um, have a desire to further that interest. So I, um, I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting, which is something you hear on sports talk radio a lot. Uh, I wanted to get into broadcasting in some form. Uh, and that was rather than go to school and get a four-year degree and learn a bunch of stuff that wasn't going to help me. Um, I didn't really have the desire to go to college because I, I wanted to spend the time and effort and money learning on the job, learning uh, things that would actually help me going forward. So I did that. It was about a six month uh, training course. Uh, and I learned a lot and I really just kind of continued to fan the flame of of that desire of being involved in some type of production or broadcasting or performing. Um, all the while I had been singing and uh, playing guitar uh, and started to get involved in community theater and things like that. And those things were all kind of just, you know, um, ways that I scratched different itches that I had uh, of performing in front of people and that kind of thing. But at that time, uh, as a very young man, I thought my life was going to be a life in ministry uh, or in church ministry and things like that. I was working with youth. Um, uh, met my wife and we got married. I got married when I was 21 years old. She was, uh, a couple years older than I was. Uh, so that oftentimes people think that is, uh, interesting that I would get married that young age, but when you're in church life, that's not that young. <laughs> so like, it's a kind of a different world for some people. Um, so while I was at the church, I was struggling, uh, a lot in my personal, uh, life. I was struggling with, uh, addiction. Uh, to pornography, which is not as, uh, I guess, taboo as it is, uh, as it was back then. Now it's kind of, people talk about it a little bit more. 
there are, there are definitely resources and, and people are a little bit more um, gracious with it, I guess, understanding how widespread the effect is and stuff. But at that time, this was like 2006, um, the people in my church and stuff didn't really know how to help me because nobody was talking about it. So I kind of was like in this position of, I need to get myself right before I can help others. Um, so my, my young career in ministry was kind of cut short, uh, as it were, and I was newly married. And obviously that threw a wrench into things uh, to have that kind of burden on top of things. So mm. it was really kind of like a, this term is used mm. outside of church world, but a come to Jesus kind of moment, um, because it was kind of like an opportunity for me to either continue to do the things that I was born and raised to understand and believe, or just kind of say, screw it and, and do whatever I want. Um, and thankfully, um, my wife, uh, my, my God, uh, didn't give up on me and, and God's grace w was there for me. And, um, we, we fought through that time. And, but as a result, career wise, I had to get a job because I didn't have, I didn't have a degree. I had a certificate in broadcasting, but, um, that wasn't going to get me anything. I often joke that, uh, my, the things that I always found most interesting and the things that I seem to have an aptitude to do are the hardest industries to actually make a living in, which was acting, music, and radio. Uh, so those are the, the three things that I was most passionate about. And everything was like, all right, well, prepare to not make a living for three to four years and do unpaid internships, working overnights and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm married now. Can't really take an unpaid radio internship for a year and hope to, you know, be Angelo Cataldi's lackey or something like that. So, um, so anyway, my brother, my brothers were both in banking. So I got a job in banking, just doing teller work and customer service and things like that, um, which is where I worked um, for a number of years. I'd say four years I was in banking. Uh, at, during that time, I had my first and second son and uh, was kind of at a crossroads again, because, you know, I'm in my late 20s at this point and, and I still had these desires uh, of, of doing creative work and I didn't have an outlet for it. I, I uh, did produce a radio program with my friend uh, that was on a Christian radio station, um, but it was pro bono. It was just work that we did as out of the kindness of our hearts, a labor of love. And it was kind of, again, scratching that itch of content creation and stuff like that. And I would always feel alive doing that kind of work. And then I would go to my day job at the bank and feel like I was dying on the inside. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you can, you can relate to stuff like that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So um, all during that time, I didn't really know because I, you know, I, I was surrounded by a very good support system, as it were. My, my parents were divorced when I was five. I was raised by a single mom. And she, she always used to say, um, which I understand, uh, you know, I don't care if you're the best at things. I don't care if you have a college degree. I just care that you're a godly man and that you treat your family well, and that you're, you know, that you're honorable, um, which is awesome, uh, but it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> uh, so uh, I kind of never really knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. I never really, uh, I know that one thing that I was very passionate about as a young kid was when I was in sixth grade, we were studying astronomy and the movie Apollo 13 came out. And that was like one of those like, because I was I was learning about 
the, all the Apollo missions. And then you see this movie and I was like, I want to work for NASA. And so that, that's like the one thing I always, that, that's the fourth hardest thing to do probably. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Probably get into NASA without a college degree. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure that's the first thing that they look at is like college degree. No. Okay. Your, your resume goes inside. Um, so that was, um, that was, that's the one thing when people say like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I, that's the one I always go back to. Um, but again, it wasn't really like a tangible path that I could go to. And that once I picked up a guitar at the age of 11, which was like shortly after that, um, then all of those aspirations went out the window and I just wanted to be a rock star. So, uh, you know, I was in bands in high school with my, my brothers and we, you know, I was in a band with my two brothers for 12 years, all the way up until just 2014, we were still kind of doing gigs and writing and recording our own music. So I've always been a creative person. Um, and, and my biggest struggle has been to figure out how to support a family, um, while still being able to be a creative person, but being a responsible creative person. Um, so it's been interesting because one thing I understand about, um, being a creative person is that it's, it's very, uh, inconsistent. Uh, there are highs and lows and, and people, you know, they, they say, oh, you're a dreamer or something like that. Um, but I always wanted to kind of tackle it practically and understand, like, I there's responsibilities that I've entered into, which is marriage and parenthood, full well knowing that I was going to have these responsibilities. I don't get to just say, well, I decided that I want to do something else. So sorry, family, you're along for the ride. That's not to say that they didn't feel that way at times. <laughs> uh, but um, it, you know, I was, I was really starting to kind of get to um, a point where I, I was, I felt that that creative fire in me was, was, uh, was really unsatisfied. And so I was going from job to job, just trying to get income, you know, what is this job going to pay me a little bit more than the previous job and they're not going to require a college degree. Okay. I'll take that job. So um I worked uh, for bank, three different banks, and then I transitioned into um, probably the dullest job that I've ever had. Um, it was a good job. It was at the time it was the highest <laughs> highest paid job I'd ever had. But we, uh, I, I did document management for a pharmaceutical uh, company, <laughs> which is as dull as it sounds. <laughs> uh, which is literally making sure all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, annotations are done correctly. Um, for regulatory documentation um, for drugs that are during the clinical clinical trial period. And just saying it out loud, it's just, I almost fell asleep. So uh, I, I think I saw you bombing a little bit in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, I spit up a little bit in my mouth because it's funny. I lasted it. That's actually um, before what I'll get into. And I'm kind of doing the long history here just because I think a lot of the things that I've gone through informs where I am today as it is with most people. Um, I worked at that job for three and a half years and um, I did well because unlike a lot of creative people, I'm also a, an attention to detail person and that that's a generalization. So I apologize to creative people, but a lot of times people are good at starting things, um, but they're not always concerned about finishing them. Mm -hmm. People will start and I've started a lot of things, but I've always tried to circle back and finish it. Even if it's only for the fact that I can say that it's finished. Um, so much so that the, the radio program that I did for seven years, I've now been going back and editing out the songs because we used to play songs and just using our, putting our segments together. And now they're being released as podcasts six years after the radio show was, 
was gone because I'm like, well, I did all this work. I have hundreds of hours of content. I need to do something with it that fits the current medium, which podcasting is, is the thing. So, so that's, uh, that's one of the things that, that I kind of do on the side. Um, but I like to finish things. So, um, at any point you can interject. I, I feel like I'm rambling, but no, I guess this I, I'd like I'm, to be on the other side. <laughs> here's my theory. I'm going to let yeah. you get it all out. Yeah. And I'm going to break it down into segments of that's good. <laughs> because I'm, right now I got 17 questions in my head. So okay. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. It's definitely, I've been, a, I've been someone who has started on a lot of paths and it took a while before one path got to where I am today. So, um, so anyway, just to kind of quickly sum up that, uh, just get us to where we are today. I, I was uh, about to hit my 30th birthday. I was up for a promotion at work and was basically told, um, that I didn't have a college degree, so they couldn't give me that position, even though I was qualified experientially uh, that, and I was training the people they were now hiring. uh, I wasn't qualified to be that person. And they said, well, would you be interested in going back to school? And I said, absolutely not. There's no reason for me to do it. You've told me that I can do this job. Why would I put money? And they, they would, they would offset some of the tuition costs, but you know how that always changes. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing about corporate jobs that I've had is that they give me, when they're hiring me, they roll out a bet. They tell me about the benefits that they have. And then as soon as I started working for them, they announced a new benefits package and many of the things were changed. Right. So, uh, so all of those things were starting to come to a head. I was, I was really starting to do a lot more, um, community theater and performing as an actor. And I had always done that. My parents met during a high school production of Godspell. Theater had always been a part of my family, but it was always, for the most part, um, recreational, I guess, for the lack of a better term. Nobody was really making a living at it. My cousin had kind of uh, pursued it temporarily. She had made some, gotten some screen credits and things like that. My uncle uh, is actually uh, one of the dancing extras in the movie Grease. Uh, he's also, he has also has a couple spoken lines in the movie Rocky Balboa and my, my cousin is in that as well. Uh, so there, it's kind of been in the family. My other uncle is actually just, he's appeared in a movie with Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark that's coming out. It's called Colwell. So it's definitely kind of in the family, but what's funny is about my uncle who's in this movie with Karen Allen, he never acted a day in his life until he got this part of Like he did a community theater production as a retired firefighter and now he's, to be in this Karen Allen movie, so it's kind of funny that doesn't seem fair. Found a new, yeah, I know. he's found a new career in his sixties, but it, it's a different story for everybody. So um, I was always involved and in doing this, and it got to a point where that was the thing that I was living for. Like I would, I would count down the minutes of my workday so that I could go to rehearsal, uh, or I would, you know, I would daydream uh, about the show that we were involved in. I would do research on, you know, on work hours, which you know, I don't work for them anymore. So I can admit that. So, um, and you just kind of get to that point where, and then I was starting to get feedback from people about like, you should, you should try that. Like you, you know, I've seen a lot of productions and this isn't to pat myself on the back, but this just kind of informs where I was. Cause I'd done shows and people were always like, this is great. You were so good. But then it started to be like the people I was, the cast I was working with was saying it and the, and the orchestra would come up to me and there was one point specifically where two people who were in the orchestra from the musical that I had just started came up to me and said, you need to do something with this because we play for a lot of community theaters and like, this is, you're gifted at this. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. 
like, cause they didn't have to go out of their way to say that, you know? So that was when it started to be like, maybe I should actually think about this. So um, this was all happening around the time where I was basically being told that my career was stagnating at this pharmaceutical company, which was fine with me. I didn't really love the work at all. I it got to the point where I would kind of lay in bed um, and, and stare up at the ceiling. And I, and I, and I, this is actually part of what drives me today um, to help others with some of the things that I do in my content creation is I would lay at the, look at the ceiling of my bedroom and just think, do I have to do this one more day? Uh, and it, I wasn't, I didn't have suicidal thoughts or, or, uh, or anything uh, as drastic as that, that I know a lot of people battle and wrestle with. And I sympathize with that, but there was definitely a point where I would have tears in my eyes and just think about like, okay, so this is my life for the rest of my life, you know? Um, I, and, and it started to rob my joy to the, the point where I felt like I was not being the husband, the father that I needed to be because everything was being sapped out of me. Um, and I've heard, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I heard, um, there's a popular podcast that I recommend called the moment with Brian Koppelman. And he's a, he's the showrunner of the, a TV show called billions. He wrote uh, the movie rounders. So he's a Hollywood guy, but he has a lot, a lot of artists on it. One of the things he talks about was when he was, he was a, he was like a music industry lawyer or something. And he wanted to write and he felt like a blocked, that blocked creative. He started to become toxic because all of that creativity was not being um, afforded the opportunity to get out. And so you feel, and then you start to become, it's a toxic situation. You start to be bitter and you start to, you know, be depressed about the direction of your life and you start to envy and, and all these things. And I was starting to feel that in myself and starting to question God um, because you know, of, of my mistake way back when and say like, is this still like God judging me because I, you know, I messed up when I was involved in church ministry and you start to run through those things in your head. And my wife was like such a rock in that because I would, I would, thankfully I was open enough and I'm a talker as you can see uh, <laughs> that I would just kind of ramble and I would do this and I would kind of spew all my thoughts out and she would then kind of say, so what you're saying is, and she would sum it up in like two sentences. And that's I'd be kind like, of what yes. I'm going to do, just so you know. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, so yes, that's exactly it. Like, why can't I get, and she was just, she was along for the ride. And she was like, there's no back door here. You know, like we're doing this and I'm going to support you. Um, and that was like, so it, it, I, I feel so indebted uh, to her because I always, I always always in the back of my mind, like I need to do right by her because she's doing right by me. So I never wanted to just abandon my responsibility of like, Hey, you're going to be the breadwinner. Now you're going to make all the money. I'm just going to go play and draw. You know what I mean? It was never like that. Uh, so I don't want to give that impression, but I was always, um, you know, trying to figure out how do I make this happen? So anyway, uh, skipping ahead a little bit more, my friend told me about real estate and I, if you had told me I would have gotten involved in real estate, I would have laughed at you. Uh, but a lot of the things that he, he spoke to me about was like, listen, like you, you're self-employed, which is something I always wanted to be. And I felt like I had the skills to do, but I didn't have a trade skill. Uh, and I didn't have a product that I, that I had created or, or um, spearheaded or anything like that. So I was like, well, how, I can't work for myself then. Those are the two avenues. You either, uh, you either are a woodworker or a carpenter, or you make a product and you sell it. And so when he explained real estate was kind of like being your, you, you are, yourself is the product. I was more comfortable with that. So um, I 
you know, talked about it with my wife. We were like, yeah, this actually seems to make sense. Um, so I got my real estate license in, uh, on my birthday in 2014 and I put in my two weeks notice at work, which, uh, I don't recommend doing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, everybody I talked to is like, you're not going to be able to make a living in real estate doing it part-time or starting out part-time. You have to kind of go all in. So I, I took that advice, not knowing much about entrepreneurship as much as I know now, five years later. Um, so I kind of wish I could go back in time and, and know everything that I knew know now. Everybody kind of wishes that I imagine um, because I feel like I would have been more prepared, but anyway, I did it. So I, I left my job and I was completely self-employed commission only salary. Um, and with no real estate, I mean, other than my friends and family, you know, starting to hammer them for referrals and things like that. And the, the reason for doing real estate was always so that I could start to pursue some of these creative things and hope that while making some large chunks of money, you know, periodically with real estate, um, that I could stay afloat long enough that one of these things would catch on. Uh, but real estate would afford me the ability to drop everything and go to an audition or play a gig on a Saturday night late because, you know, that was my work for the day and stuff like that. So, so I started that and I, I really started to, to do that exclusively uh, in 2015. So since January of 2015, I, I, I had been completely self-employed as a realtor and then was also doing acting gigs on the side performing with my dad. Um, we, we did that for about 12 years in bars. I performed in Phoenixville, uh, North Wales, Lansdale, wherever you, you name it in the Montgomery County, Bucks County arena. We had a duet uh, called Adam Spear uh, for about 10 years. My brother has now replaced me because I'm no longer available um, on the weekends as I was. Uh, so yeah, I started doing that. And, and through that, basically learned so much more than I could have learned going to college about business, about um, finances, accounting, all that stuff, because I became my own uh, marketer, my own uh, human resources person, my own, uh, you know, everything, my own administrator. I, I was sending out newsletters. I was writing things. I was, I started to document and I realized very early on that my personality didn't fit the real estate industry as a whole, uh, or at least the traditional real estate model. Um, because I wanted to just kind of be me. I wanted to wear a Beatles shirt and go to a showing in my Chuck Taylor shoes. I didn't want to put on a blazer and, and be clean cut and stuff. So I kind of started to push against some of that. And so I started to really try to distance myself and strategically from the traditional model and started to produce content that was counter what you typically saw in real estate, which led me to start a podcast, uh, which at the time I launched my own podcast in November, 2015 which was like right when podcasts were starting right. to re yeah. reawaken, I guess you'd say, where the Renaissance was, was starting. And I didn't, I, I was kicking myself as someone who had been involved in radio for seven, no, 10 years almost, that I was so late to the game. Because when we were doing the radio program that I had mentioned, someone said to me, you guys should look into podcasting. And this is like in 2007 or eight. And I was like, what? Well, I didn't <laughs> even then, know what podcast was until 2018. So you that's think- That's incredible. Okay, well then I'm. I can. I <laughs> at least I. You're one person. I can say I got to before, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I was like, oh man. And then I started being like, if I had started doing this back in 2008, and my my brain starts going, you know, what what could I have grown it into? But anyway, I started it. Originally, it was called Real Person Real Needs, which was like my real estate slogan, um, and it had a double meaning. Obviously, I was trying to 
tell you that I was a real estate person, but I, my thing was always authenticity plus generosity equals community. And that was kind of my, my core pillars that I used for my real estate business was everything about me. I wanted you to know walking in the door that you were going to get it straight for me. I wasn't going to be this polished facade. Uh, I wanted people to feel comfortable sitting down on my couch at my house. If we were sitting at a settlement table, if we were sitting at a bar, I wanted to be the same person. And that probably rubbed people the wrong way. Some people uh, probably hurt me in business in terms of getting like some of those high dollar clients because they want that prestige. But um, I started to really kind of feel it out and figure out how to make make a living in real estate, quote unquote, while also doing theater and gigs and, and kind of, I at one point I had like five different sources of income. So that's why it's funny now that I kind of, I kind of streamlined it back into um, the acting, which is where I am now. So anyway, uh, all during this time I started doing the podcast and I was basically, I really started to get passionate about um, helping other people figure out what they were created to do because that's what I feel like this whole journey has been for me. Um, all the ups and downs. It's been about um, finding out what you were born to do and doing it. It doesn't mean that you have to do it for a living per se, but if you're not doing the thing you were created to do, then I feel like you are, you are lacking a huge part of who you are. Um, so there was a quote that I read. Um, I think it's Mark Twain said that um, the two most important days in a person's life are the day they were born and the day they find out why. Um, and that really rocked me when I read that because it was right at a time where I was really digging into books and podcasts and listening to things because I was, I was, you know, up a creek without a lifeboat or whatever the term is. I know that's not right, but I'll say up shit's creek without a paddle. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but I felt like, you know, cause now I'm like, all right, now I've done it. I've made the leap. I know what I'm aiming for and I need to show people not the, you know, the, um, the rosy side, which I think is often, you know, these, the personal development, it's always showing like, Hey, I'm laying in a pile of cash and you can too. You know, um, I wanted to kind of document the journey. So I started to do that with my podcast. And, and initially it was a lot of just me sharing my thoughts on, uh, personal development, uh, growth, uh, trials, tribulations, uh, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, that kind of stuff. And it started to resonate with people. And it was interesting because I used to, I started to get a lot of feedback from like my parents' friends, uh, which I found really interesting. So it was starting to appeal to uh, the generation before me a little bit because they were hearing me say things that they had felt, but didn't know how to articulate. Um, and, they, it, and it was in a time where they couldn't necessary the tools of like internet and, and content creation and, and doing all this kind of stuff wasn't really readily available to them. Um, so it was really inspiring. So what I ended up doing was I created a video series called the jumpstart video series. And it was really just for me to articulate all my thoughts on, okay, I've been doing this job for a living that I don't like, and I want to start doing something that actually matters to me. How do I do that? Like what are the steps that you can take? So I did that. And it was really just, to kind of get it down on paper as it were, or get it down on video. Um, and one of the biggest things was figure out how the things that you've done up till now can help you going forward. Cause sometimes people just want to start over. So I started to work on these things and uh, it was really, 
really eye-opening to me. So I started to do that. And uh, that kind of just snowballed into the content creation that I do now. And uh, ultimately, I wanted to, uh, my whole goal in documenting this was I wanted to end up where I am now. God, uh, thank God. Um, Sight and Sound Theaters is uh, a theater in Lancaster, um, which is a Christian theater. Uh, so I, I kind of always wanted to marry those two loves that I have, my faith and the arts. Uh, and I wasn't really sure how to do that. So Sight and Sound was kind of like this this thing that I was aiming for. Uh, I didn't think necessarily that it would ever happen um, because I was like, well, to make my living performing and performing biblically based musicals, you know, it seems a little far-fetched. Um, so uh, it's kind of cool though, because as I was documenting my journey, I would bring that desire up like, oh yeah, I, you know, and I actually auditioned there three years in a row and didn't get cast. And I would talk about that on my podcast and, uh, you know, or my, and then I later started a vlog uh, to go along with the podcast. And I changed the name from real person, real needs to the acting realtor podcast, because that's what I was. So I started to really brand acting realtor as my thing um, because I was a, and the, the, the subtitle of the podcast is the dangerous and delicate balancing act between your day job and your dream job. <laughs> so that's a mouthful, but um, it was kind of that trying to appeal to that niche group of people who are doing something that pays the bills, but it's not the thing that they love the most. So like, how do we kind of start to steer the ship so that they get that satisfaction out of at least scratching the itch of the thing that they love the most. So um, that's what the jumpstart video series, the subtitle of that was identifying your leap and overcoming the fear of taking it. Um, so I, that, that's why I kind of brought up the jumpstart thing, even though I kind of <laughs> forgot that main point. It was about identifying the leap and overcoming the fear of taking it, because that's the that's one of the things. Even with Discover Springboard, which I'll you know we'll talk about. I one of the questions I typically ask, because that's the thing that speaks to me the most, is there is a lot of people that have ideas, and there are a lot of people that say someday, but I'm interested in the moment that makes someday today. Right. Um, because that's the thing that um, I think defines the haves and the have nots as it were, you know, that there's a lot of people that say like, Oh, I, I wrote the plot for fast and furious on a bar napkin. And now it's, it's a million dollar, billion dollar franchise. Or, um, everybody has those things that they wish they had done. And it's that, that small minority of people who actually overcome the fear of whatever it is, rejection or, um, uh, people laughing at you like friends brassing on you because yeah remember when you thought you called yourself the acting realtor what an idiot you know like and you kind of have to overcome that uh to put yourself out there and that's what you know it's funny because i you know i started vlogging in 2017 uh and at first it was weekly and then it's kind of fallen back and forth now i'm on like a bi-weekly schedule and literally half of it is me in my car and that's you know something that you do i see like going live and stuff like that and you're just a stream of consciousness uh, thoughts. And for me, creating content, documentation, all of this stuff, I am shocked when people are like, oh, I saw your episode or I, I, I heard you say that thing. And I'm like, where did you hear me say that? That was, oh, you watched the, you listen to the podcast? Like I'm blown away because for me, I, I realized that like my, you know, I have a lot of different labels, whether it's acting realtor or actor or father or whatever, but I see myself as a content creator and I feel like I'll be creating content until I die. Whether anybody listens to it or watches it, it doesn't matter because 
I'm still doing it and not many people listen or watch. So um, it's been really a crazy journey. So I know I should say long story. What I'm hearing you say is. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I'm going to stop here because I I want to finish up with with the sight and sound and how you call me. But I think there's some nuggets in there that need to be expanded upon. So one of the things that um, we share in common is I grew up in the church. I'm the... I'm a, raised by a single mom. Uh, my brother and I, uh, my mom made sure we went to church. She ended up marrying a guy who was at the time the drummer in one of the top rock bands in the 19, uh, late 70s, early 80s in the Philadelphia area. Um, they were called Emerald City. Emerald City. My dad was stepdad was the drummer, um, which was kind of cool when they started dating because he was in a rock band. And he played yeah. all the, you know, Super Freak by Rick James. And, you know, he'd play all the... <laughs> Doobie Brothers songs, and, and then all of a sudden he had a calling while he was. Um, I, I, I'm like, what? Were we in the shower? When did this calling happen? Like, yeah. God, like, hey, Paul, I need you to go become a pastor. Um, so he became a pastor, and wow. um, for me, I wasn't a big fan of that. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> the church became home, and it, there was no separation between church and right. state. So yeah. it was church all the time. So my falling out with the church came more so out of the, the forcefulness of the requirement of being involved in the church. Sure. Um, on top of that, my brother passing when I was 18 and, and me having some major issues with God over why that happened. But right. so you were talking about um, your love and passion for the church. You were talking about um, how you had envisioned yourself being involved in the church as your, your calling more or less but you had this issue with pornography. I, I think it's important rather than not getting into super deep details, but understanding what that, that issue was and how it um, a came to light and B um, felt when that news broke um, yeah. amongst the community. Um, it's funny. It's, it's, I say it's the worst day of my life and the best day of my life because it it meant I didn't have to uh, masquerade anymore. Um, I was, it was at a time when it wasn't as prevalent, I guess. So I kind of, I have a vague memory of being exposed to it at a, at a young age. And I don't really re- remember it though. It's, it's almost like a dream uh, seeing something, something like that. And then just kind of always being hyper aware of that, that arena. Um, I always have kind of looked the same. So when I was 17 years old, I was able to access magazines and stuff um, because nobody questioned how old I was. Um, so I started to uh, to get involved uh, that way. Uh, and then, you know, this was all unbeknownst to anybody. I was keeping it very private. Um, you know, I would buy the magazines and then ditch them in the gutter or whatever. And then... Uh, this is cool, actually, because I've never actually gotten to really articulate this in any permanent form. So <laughs> I can point people now to, to my story in this right. regard. Wow. Um, uh, so all the while, I was keeping up the appearances of an upstanding, godly man. Uh, you know, I was playing worship in the church. It's a, a large, very large church, 2,500 people on a Sunday morning. Uh, for once, uh, we had three services, at, uh, you know, about 6,000 people uh, on a Sunday morning. and and uh, I was accessing pornography on the church computer. So uh, 
because I, I, had, I had so successfully detached those parts of my brain that I could justify my, uh, my church work. I, I mean, I, was, I felt guilty about it, and I, and I kind of I knew it was wrong, but I was able to operate in both worlds, uh, which, was, which is a dangerous place to be uh, when you no longer feel that conviction and that, you know, like that, you don't hear that voice anymore kind of saying like, you need to stop right now. Um, so, you know, it was found out that I was accessing it on the computer and then I basically just had to tell them everything. Um, and they, they were gracious in that they didn't, it wasn't like announced publicly. And, you know, I was like a, an, an assistant, uh, to one of the pastors. So it was, it was kind of like, and it had come up on, I had already at that point said that I didn't like, I was, I was working there and their goal for me was to, you know, maybe come on board as like a minister of some kind or, you know, a youth pastor or something. They, they weren't very clear about it. It was more like an internship to kind of see how I did. Um, I was very young, very green. And at that point I had already articulated to them that the radio, cause I, I, when I had gotten hired at the church, um, it was as I was finishing up broadcasting school, because uh, I was actually working full time for the church at this point uh, in youth ministry. And I was finishing up uh, a broadcasting school, but I wanted to get married. My wife and I were dating and I saw this as like, oh, stability, you know, like I'll, I'll take a job at the church. We can get married and then we'll figure it out, you know, like and then so I had already said to them you know, I want to pursue this radio thing. And I'd started the radio program with my friend uh, and all of that. Uh, so it was kind of, it came up, it was right, right around the two year mark where all of this came to light. So it was kind of like, all right, well, this is, you know, well, this is a two year internship, but you already said you were going to move out. So you're done kind of a thing. And right. then it was like, all right, well, I'm unemployed and I have a wife and she's a teacher at the church and school where I worked because the church I grew up in had a school as well. And that's how we met. Um, so there was a lot of tentacles. It was, it was very, you know, as much as the, everything was quiet and, and, you know, nobody really knew the reasons why until now. Um, it has since come out and I've talked about it publicly in many forms. But um, yeah, I, I still try to go back to that day sometimes to feel that feeling because it's still a part of my life in a way. Like I'm not blameless or perfect in that area. Um, I still have the images in my head and all the things that I've kind of, you know, and I still deal with the, the lasting effects of the decisions that I made so long ago, as many people do, um, were forgiven, uh, you know, and that's the thing that um, I hold on to by God's grace that, that I'm forgiven, but that doesn't mean that there are no earthly consequences for our actions. Um, so I dealt with them, you know, I don't, and I, and I ended up, uh, I actually subsequently lost another job because of it shortly after, uh, because I wasn't dealing with the issues. I was just like <laughs> trying to deal with the material thing. So I was like, okay, I need to get a job. So I was so messed up and clouded in my head that during my, uh, what do they call it? Probation period of your first three months when the, you're there, you don't have benefits or anything. I accessed, pornography on the computer at work because I, it's so delirious to think about it now and ridiculous. Uh, and I was let go within three months again. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that forced me. And I got to that, that moment and that come to Jesus moment that I, I mentioned before 
where I felt like God was saying to me, okay, it's been your mom's church. It's been, you know, the church where you grew up. It's been, you know, the thing that you've wanted, uh, that lifestyle or whatever it was. This is, you know, it's all you've known. But like, what about me and you? You know, like it was, it was God saying like, you can now take, you now choose for this day, you know, to quote, um, to quote scripture, (laughs) choose for this day who you're going to serve. And it was kind of that moment where I was like, okay, like now I have the chance of saying, if I really want this thing that is destroying my life and destroying my relationship with my wife and making me incapable of functioning, then there's nothing holding me back from it essentially, or do I really want the things I say that I want? And it was an incredibly eye-opening thing because I felt like God took me to the bottom emotionally, spiritually, and started to build me back up again. And my wife's constant love and support through that, you know, I wouldn't be here. And I really appreciate that. So to answer your question, (laughs) what it felt like, it felt like my heart had been ripped out. But at the same time, it also felt like the pus had been taken out of the wound. You know what I mean? So, so shame, shame is such a powerful yeah. emotion. Yeah. Um, because it, it strips you raw on the outside and the inside. Yeah. Because the shame is known. The external shame that you're feeling from other people's thoughts and feelings and, and looks and what you perceive is happening and then what's actually happening inside of you. Right. It's so raw. For sure. So let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, I, I always, you know, I, I've, I've done some stupid shit <laughs> and, and come out the other side. And I have a, a very loving and patient and um, strong and foundational wife as well. Yeah. When, as a young man, I mean, you, you got married at 21. So right. as a young man in a new relationship, in a new marriage, not maybe the relationship had been a while, but you new marriage. And this is the inaugural bomb drop in your lap. How did she, like, I always find it. The ones that stick and stay are the ones that I'm the most amazed by. Like I understand when marriages fall apart and I understand when there's betrayal and one says, you know what I'm done. They go and I I get it. It makes sense. But the one that sticks and stays and then truly forgives that's a whole nother animal. I forget a lot of shit, but I yeah. don't always forgive. Actually, I never forgive. I'm the most unforgiving <laughs> person on the planet. I hold grudges longer than any human being ever should. <laughs> so I, I find it astonishing when I, when I meet somebody who, who lived what you lived and had someone that you hurt, I'm sure, hurt badly, who stayed, not only stayed, but stayed and forgave. Let's right. talk about your wife and how that process sort of happened. Well, um, initially it was, thankfully, I guess <laughs> to say, I had started to kind of open up to her before the mom dropped, um, and she was aware. Um, even I think before we were married, we kind of had a conversation about our pasts and things like that, and I kind of had tipped my hand a little bit without trying to freak her out. So she had known that it was something that I had dealt with. Um, and then prior to the bombshell being dropped, she knew that it was something I was struggling with because of being caught or whatever. Um, 
And she had said, you need to stop or this is going to lead to what it ultimately led to, which was me losing my job and all of that stuff. Um, I, I honestly don't understand it other than I could just say it's, it was Jesus in her life that was for her, what I was not being. And, um, that she basically said to me, uh, we, we started meeting with a pastor and it was before my, my first son was born. She said like, I love this man, but I don't know if I want to bring children into the, into this, if this is going to be a thing. And that cut me to the heart. Um, but it was her frankness and the fact that I knew she was telling the truth about the fact that she loved me um, that made me say, okay, like I'm going to fight. I'm not going to be perfect. This isn't going to be like cold Turkey type of a situation, but I'm going to put up as many boundaries as I need to. And I'm going to re uh, realign my life in such a way so that I do not have easy access to this. Um, even to this day, my smartphone, I have uh, parental controls as though I'm a child on it. Uh, same with our internet at home. It's funny because oftentimes when I do something new for work, I have to text my wife and say, hey, I need access to this website. Can you unblock it? Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, I'm 36 now. This all came out, came to, to blows when I was about 23. <clears throat> um, so it really just became the fact that I understood that she, she said to me, like, I think she actually said these words, like, there is no escape plan for me. Like, I made a commitment. I'm going to honor that commitment. Um, and that was just such an eye. Like, so for her, divorce was not an option, which I'm grateful for, because I know a lot of people who get divorced for a lot less. And, and I, I am thankful that um, it never progressed beyond um, you know, into personal relationship with anybody. Never, you know, that's, that's one thing that I've always um, found so astonishing is that it never, a lot of times when you hear about guys getting involved with other people, it starts with pornography and stuff like that. It never jumped the shark as it were in my life to that point. But I was, you know, I was heavily involved with it, but that was always like the barrier that I was like, I will not cross that. Like, I guess I kind of justified my involvement in, in pornography by saying, I will never do that, you know what I mean? Right. Which is dangerous to, to kind of say that you will never do something. But thankfully, um, you know, and my wife and I were both virgins when we got married. Um, so the, that aspect of our relationship, thankfully, um, remained intact. And I think that may have helped her to forgive me. I don't know. I, I, to say all the thought processes, I don't. I'd have to get her in here, but I don't think she would want to talk about it on a form like this, but she really just, I got to the point where I felt that she was giving me every opportunity. Um, and then I couldn't squander it because most people would not be that generous and forgiving. So that was the motivator for me. And the fact that she started to see me take drastic action, like never carrying cash on me, uh, you know, shutting down, like I would, you know, anytime I made a purchase of anything, I would say, Hey, just so you know, I'm going to the store, I'm buying this, this, and this, it's going to cost this much. I'm not also adding a magazine on top of that, you know, yeah. like just very as transparent as possible. And her, 
I think her seeing my willingness to lay myself bare allowed her to forgive me because she saw that I actually wanted to change. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people and, and, you know, you can, the varying degrees of how you want to change, it, you know, it changes based on the, the mood you're in, you know, and, and starting to recognize those things about like, okay, well, when I get really depressed, I start to think about these things or like the, when I get into these situations, these, it's just like with the, the alcoholic or whatever, like I can't go down those roads. I can't do this. I can't do it. You start to kind of bracket out your life and see like, okay, where am I, where are the, the, uh, the soft spots in my armor as it were. Um, and then really just starting to aggressively fight. And I know there's a lot of people who um, they're comfortable in the liberties that they have. And I, I learned at that time that I'm somebody who I need structure. I need to be deliberate with my life. Um, it may be okay for some people. I don't drink. Um, there's, those are things I just never, I never have. And it's knowing my addictive personality. I said, I'm just not going to. Um, even though I, I don't see it as sin to drink, but I I know for me that it could become a dangerous thing. So I just abstain uh, and just recognizing those characteristics in me. And my I do have an addictive personality in that as I, as I pursue things, whether it's career or projects, I go so uh, tunnel vision on them that sometimes people can't even get my attention and like hours will go by. And that's you know, that's something in my personality that I have to recognize to always direct it in a positive arena because it could easily go somewhere else and become something much more dangerous. So when I learned just from this conversation about not just you, but life in general, because I, I have a lot of the same um, addictive personality tendencies. Um, I, right. I very. Um, I'm all in too quickly sometimes yeah. things that I, I believe in and, and I may not have enough information to justify being all in and believing yeah, right. um, I'll give you an example with max out. Um, you know, I got caught up in, I was in a, in a spot in my life where um, I was coming out of that anger and the, the depression I was in, but, and, and I was starting to feel good about myself. Right. Um, you know, I took the job as an air marshal because I saw nine 11 happen and that pissed me off so much that this inner patriot in me was like, I'm going, I'm giving, I'm going in. And yeah. I applied for the job. My wife's like over my dead body. And I applied anyways. And I got the job and, and I said, <laughs> now we got to make a choice. So, <laughs> and she's sick. My wife is a stick and stay. She will always be on my side. And, yeah. and that I, I, I can't stress enough is how important that is in my life. But I, I make these rash decisions, which end up being good decisions, but I don't really have all the information yet. Right. And Max out, I'll tell that story real quick. I had an opportunity to um, do a different business with a, with a childhood friend of mine and another guy, Jason Griggs, who's my business partner now, who was kind of like the financier of it. And that business fell apart, but we had already agreed to, to borrow this money from Jason. Yeah. And um, it was $125,000 or $150,000 each. Uh-huh. And the guy that I was doing the original deal with flew was working in Florida and he got introduced to the max out technology. And he says, dude, you got to come down to Florida and try this out. And I'm like, I don't have, first of all, I don't have any money. I don't, I don't do day trips to Florida. It's not my thing. Um, But I did flew to Fort Lauderdale. I flew to Orlando and back um, went down there, did one set of 12 reps on this leg extension machine, went outside and puked. (laughs) Whatever that is, I'm in. 
<laughs> I didn't even, I didn't consult my wife. I didn't do anything. I signed a promissory note for a hundred thousand dollars. And next thing you know, I'm in debt with more money that I could ever pay back in my lifetime. Oh, because I did 12 reps of, of a leg. <laughs> so that's the impulsive nature of my, my mentality as well. So but what I, what I got from you when you were saying that is that being intentional in your actions, like we don't have the luxury of just going through life right. and, and having life happen to us. We have to sort of be very much in the driver's seat of our daily activities yep. in order to allow for life to happen for us because happening to us doesn't usually end up in right. the <laughs> So that's what I'm hearing from it. And, and based on everything you were saying in the beginning and, and the, the, the path you were taking with um, working dead end job, just because you knew that you had a responsibility level, which I, I have the same feelings. You know, I got kid in college, one's graduating high school. I've been the sole provider for my family since my son was born. Um, he's going to be you know, midway through his junior year of high school. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of pressure to, to be the, the man in the house and the provider. And you do shit that you don't want to do sometimes because that's what's required of you at that moment. But I love the fact that you stayed true to your, your intentional wants. Like I want to be a creator. I want to be, I want to feed my, my acting, my music, my, my content creation bug. And, and I, I respect that because you didn't, you didn't say, honey, I got to do this. Like I did all these things and still had a full-time job and never quit my full-time job. I worked a hundred hours a week for the last 11 years because that's what's required of me for, for me to feed my itch of feeling like I have some control in my life. Now as a cop, I work for government. Right. I have rules and regulations. And while I love, loved, loved being a cop, um, I don't necessarily love it anymore. Um, I, I find value in what I do every day, but I don't love the job. Right. Um, I also knew that I, I needed to have something else in my life. Right. I, I love the fact that you, you, you didn't allow yourself cause your tendency probably would have been had you not had a wife and then children to just sort of figure it out. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm going to make money here, there and everywhere because that's the way I normally would go do it. But you said, right. I, I got to fit into this box right now, the dad and the husband, right. Because I got to bring home some money. Yeah. And that's, that to me is a, while what you went through with, with the pornography addiction was a character flaw. Yeah. Your character trait that is um, the thing that probably guides you for the rest of your life is your ability to recognize the responsibility that you have, your accountability for those responsibilities, the love that you have for your wife and children, which is since, since we've talked, when I was on your podcast now and I, I watch your shows and I, I see all your, your love for a, what you do and, and your families is undeniable. Thank you. And when you have that level of conviction towards something um, and your faith for, for, yeah. you know, those things help create that intentional lifestyle. Yeah. It's not, I know a lot of people that just sort of get up and they go to bed and they're like, I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but it happened to go through it. And I just don't understand how when you have an opportunity to be intentional with your actions and your words and, and the things that you're doing on a daily basis to serve others, how you don't do that. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the main reasons why I started to, 
to write. Uh, it started as a blog post and the podcast and the vlog was, I was trying to see the, and, and don't, don't get me wrong, it's probably mundane to most people, but I was trying to in, be intentional about everything that I did. So especially when I was working, you know, I, I was getting acting jobs starting. In, I, first time I got paid to act was in 2016. And I felt like I'm a professional actor. You know, I made $400 to be in a show for four weekends. It was a stipend. It wasn't going to, it was going to buy like maybe two weeks of groceries, but I'm an actor, you know, this is it, you know? And I was, but you know, that year I made, you know, whatever it was before my gross real estate income was $38,000, um, which is about the average. We, when you met all the business expenses, the average real estate agent makes about $25,000 a year, which most people don't know that they only know the top 5% that make millions or whatever it is. Right. Um, so for me, and, and the funny thing is, is I say now that I wouldn't have quit my job if I had known how unstable it really was. Um, but my wife was totally on board with like, yeah, let's do this. So, uh, you know, I was like, okay. Um, I don't know if she was just, uh, she had delusions of grandeur as I did maybe, <laughs> but uh, it was, it became, and I, and like you had said, I kind of, for the first 10 months or so when I was working uh, for a certain brokerage, I don't want to mention them because I don't want to badmouth them, but it's a very large real estate brokerage, very well known. You see their logos everywhere. I felt like I, they, they prided themselves on training and equipping their agents, but everything they were telling me to do was so against my character. And like, I hate getting cold calls, but they're telling me to cold call two hours every morning. I, I felt like I was like betraying myself. So I was, I would just refuse to do that stuff. And they were like, well, you're not going to build your business if you don't do this stuff. And I was like, well, maybe in 1985, but you know, it's 2016 or 15 at the time. So you know, I lasted there for about 10 months, but I, I just felt like I would go to the office because that was what I was used to doing was going to work. Um, and I, I didn't have a, a, a strategy or a discipline for myself working from home. So I was like, well, I'll go to the real estate office and work will magically appear. So I was doing that. I was like, well, I guess it's going to happen. And it wasn't until I switched brokerages because I recognized that I was not in a good spot for my skills and my strengths. And I went to a more small, uh, modern boutique brokerage where they were like, I told them like, here's kind of what I want to do. And I kind of just want the brokerage to stay out of my way. Uh, and they were like, it sounds great. We want more entrepreneurial real estate agents in our brokerage. So I was like, okay, sweet. So I started to kind of plan out my days. So each day I would be like, okay, well this day I would do this. <clears throat> and once I was intentional about my actions is when I was starting to see progress. And that, that ultimately led to, um, when I started doing the podcast and I started to write and I, I did the, the big jumpstart videos and I started to have a formula where I was like, okay, as long as I get these things done, all of these things are leading me towards my ultimate goal, which is brand awareness, getting clients. Um, but I felt like I could, even if I didn't like sell a house that day, I knew I had accomplished what I had set out for that day. You know what I mean? So I kind of started to break it down into those types of things. And I do think that now that you, to have somebody else kind of articulate it about me, that is something I, I really cherish, which is that kind of that really deliberate, focused attention. You know, it's almost like uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
I know they make analogies about different types of ammunition. There's the kind of just sprays everywhere, yep. but then there's Fully like automatic the and then yeah, right. So like I feel like I would, I'm like highly concentrated in one specific area, um, and we ended up moving to Royersford uh, to we finally uh, we were renting for a time because it's a whole other story, which is not you can find out on my podcast if you go, which is our history with real estate. Uh, before I got into real estate, we bought a house during the the bubble or a condo, I should say, and then right after we bought it, the bubble burst and it's still today not worth what we paid for it. And I, I finally unloaded it this year thanks to a real estate uh, investor friend of mine. Uh, but uh, we were struggling to find a place to live and we were renting and I was really tired of renting and we wanted to buy. So we're looking around uh, and we found Royers Ford. And one of the stipulations, uh, one of the things in the back of our minds was if I ever got hired at Sight and Sound, which was my dream job, um, we wouldn't want to re- completely relocate again. So Royers Ford was close enough. It was an hour commute. And I know a lot of people who drive an hour to work that hate their job. I would drive an hour to work to love my job. So we kind of ended up in Royers Ford. Uh, that coupled with the fact that they are approved for USDA financing, which means you don't have to put money down on your house. That's the only reason we were able to buy the house that we have. Um, but once we did that, I kind of had the idea early on, I wanted to create a, like a community show that would not only um, introduce me to the community, but also would highlight the community and allow me to get to know the area that I'm now going to be living in and ultimately working in. Uh, so just for the record, it's brilliant. I, I, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm actually a little pissed off that I didn't come up with it. <laughs> well, I can't say that I necessarily came up with it. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is uh, an entrepreneur. I heard him say it. I listened to a podcast that he has. Um, and he had said, if you're in real estate and you're not becoming the mayor of your hometown by creating content about your hometown, I don't know what you're in real estate for. So he made that comment. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So um, I was already creating content. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to – I understand how to create video. I edit video. I edit audio. I understand all these things. I have all of these skills that I've accumulated through acting and all this stuff how can I use them for my real estate business? Cause at that point, real estate was still the, the 85% income generator for me. Um, but I definitely didn't want it to come off as like a sales pitch because I'm very not salesy, which is hilarious when you work in a uh, industry that is a sales driven industry, which is probably why I wasn't as successful at it as I could have been. Uh, I wanted it to be strictly about the community. And I felt that, if I did my job of being authentic and being generous, which were my two core pillars back from my real, you know, my real person, real needs thing. If I did that, then the community would build around me. And ultimately I wouldn't have to necessarily concern myself with the financial dividends from it, mm-hmm. that those things would take care of themselves. If I handled myself the right way, if I was authentic in my interaction, if I was generous with my time and talent to highlight these other businesses, uh, then you know karma or whatever you know like things would come back around um and you know it's it's been incredible so since we started that i moved we settled on our house may 8 2017 i think i created the facebook page discover springford in july of 2017 and i filmed the first episode in august of 2017 and the first episode was published September 9th, 2017, or September 10th, 2017. So within uh, four months of moving here, 
Discover Spring Ford was launched to the world with the first episode, which was Railroad Street Bar and Grill. Little did I know that that is one of the largest uh, fan bases in this area. It's crazy how it all worked out because I'll give a shout out to a couple of different people. Uh, I started just kind of Facebook messaging people saying, hey, I'm new to the area. I'm starting this show, but I didn't have anything to show them. So it was really, you know, I was just some random guy. But I was saying, I'm, you know, it's not going to cost you anything. I'm just going to, I just want to sit down and talk to you, film it, and it will be a show. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be Facebook. And I, you know, some people would say, oh, that sounds interesting, or whatever, or they wouldn't respond at all because I wasn't message. I was just messaging them with my personal Facebook account, so it was really shady. <laughs> and if I wasn't their friend, then it would probably go to their spam or whatever. But I didn't know how else to do it. So, um, Joe Moskal, I don't know if you oh, know him. Uh, yeah. Royers for Advanced Company. He's on Borough Council for Royers for Borough. He's a school teacher as well as my wife. Uh, I think in the Norristown School District he is. Yep. Um, he also has a tomato company. He's, he's a man about town, as they say. Uh, most people in Royersford know Joe Moskal. But he was the first person to say, yeah, this sounds great. And as far as I knew, he just had a tomato stand and his fence company. And then we had the National Night Out in August. And he had a, a table set up. I was like, oh, I'm going to go introduce myself because we had only been communicating on Facebook. And uh, so I walk up to him and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, we've been messaging back and forth. And he said, yeah, you should come over to Railroad Street. I said, why? And he said, oh, well, I have a partnership with Mike McCluskey. I provide the tomatoes and they have a great thing there. He's the, he'll be interested in well, as well. And I, I, I was like, well, is Railroad Street in the Springford School District? Because I'm kind of using the Springford School District. I did not know. I still didn't know the boundaries and stuff of the Springford area. So I, he just kind of chuckled and was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, so we went. I, I filmed both the first ep- the first two episodes at, on, in the same day. And then we put the first episode up the day after Community Day. So I, I bought a table and banner and all this stuff. And I just had a table set up. Nobody knew what Discover Springford was. But I, I was handed stuff. And I was like, it's going to be on YouTube and Facebook tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. And uh, within the first... 48 hours, I think we had 10,000 views or something like that, which is still, it still holds the record for the most views of any Discover Springport episode. Uh, it's up to like 15,000 now. But, uh, and then we've been off and running ever since. Originally, it was uh, the first two seasons, it was a, a weekly show. We did 22 episodes in the first season. It's also a podcast. The podcast goes up Monday nights or Monday mornings after the Sunday night episode on Facebook and YouTube. And, uh, and this week, this year, uh, since uh, my, my current job uh, take, took away my self-employment and uh, I don't have the freedom of time as I once did, now it's a twice a month show. So it's at the second and fourth Sunday night of every month and the second, I guess, the second and fourth or the following Monday of the second, fourth Sunday. So um, so that's how Discover Springford got launched and it's been really cool. That's how I started to find out about you and just, just because I was kind of scouring the area for prominent individuals in the Springford community. And it it doesn't mean anything that it took two years to get. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. No, it's eight tenths of a square mile. The town of Roarsford, just over how not big it is. That's how it took two years to find Matt Kubler. (laughs) It's crazy because I actually originally was just going to call it discover Roarsford. And I was like, well, I don't want to run out of businesses, you know, uh, so I made it Springford, and then Springford's like gigantic because it's Upper Providence and Limerick yep. and Roarsford and Spring City. Um, and then I come to find out Roarsford Borough itself has like 130 businesses registered just in the borough alone. And I was like, oh, I guess I could have been fine, but I love the. I've met so many people from Limerick and Upper Providence and Spring City, and uh, it's been really great to highlight the various people. And 
you were actually on my radar from the beginning, I think, because I was, I was, I don't know how I found out about you. It was either on LinkedIn or Facebook, but you kept coming up as I was friending. I think it was as I was friending people I was interviewing, um, like Anna Marie and things like that. Like you would come up as like, you may know or whatever, you know, like it was right. mutual friends or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to, and then I, I was checking out what you were doing. I was like, this guy's seems like a kindred spirit. So uh, I friended you probably a while. I think I actually just saw on Facebook that we had our one year friend anniversary, yep, which is funny. So we've yeah. been actually Facebook friends for much longer than actually in-person friends. So, um, so anyway, yeah, that's kind of, that kind of neatly segued into the discover springboard, which is one of the main things that I do now. And that's a, that's a thing that I don't really make any money uh, doing. I just, it's always been about uh, providing the content for the community. We do have a Patreon site. Uh, where people can become a monthly supporter for as little as a dollar um, and then there's various levels if you become a, a you know a certain level you can you get a free t-shirt and that kind of stuff but uh, but I mean I think I get uh, $12 a month from the, our Patreon supporters which I'm very appreciative of because uh, times 12 that ends up paying for like the hosting of our website so right. we're breaking even I think <laughs> for the most part which is cool um, but yeah, that's been, and, and I've gotten to know so many great folks and, and I feel like I'm, I'm truly, uh, a, you know, a Royers Ford resident, you know, I was transplant, but now I feel like I, I know a lot more about the community than some people that have lived here for a long time. So, um, it's been cool to kind of, as people move to the area, find out like, oh yeah, I told them to watch your show if they wanted to find out about good place to eat and stuff like that. And I'm like, yes, I'm like the Anthony Bourdain of Royers Ford. Yeah. You know, this is great. <laughs> well, listen, I could do this all night long. Um, yeah, why don't we, um, unfortunately, it's going to become two episodes. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. What is the, uh, what's the websites where people can find you for, for Sight and Sound, for Discover Roars Ford, and anything else you got going on? Sure. So, um, or Discover Spring Ford. I'm sorry. Oh, that's you, fine. Help me, you help me out. Um, you said it before. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my website is jeffreydesiato.com. Uh, you can also get to that website by doing actingrealtor.com. That's a little bit easier than spelling out my first name with a G and my last name. So actingrealtor.com, you can find that. Um, discoverspringford.com, no hyphen. Um, I don't think uh, Spring City and Royal Sword should be separated by a hyphen. So I, I, I didn't put it in there. So we're united as a communities with our high school and everything. So um, it's discoverspringford, all one word.com. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can find all of those links on, on my website, on Discover Springboard's website. But we are, uh, I'm, I'm personally on Instagram uh, for my acting profile and also Discover Springboard. And then the YouTube channel, uh, if you do tv.discoverspringboard.com, uh, it'll take you right to our YouTube channel. You can subscribe, get notifications every time there's a new episode. And uh, yeah, so that's how that works. And, and what's cool about, uh, if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.actingrealtor.com, um, you can actually go back and watch my journey. Cause one thing I forgot to mention was that, uh, after three years of auditions, I auditioned at Sight and Sound and ultimately got hired, which I kind of have been implying all this time. Uh, and now I work there full time, uh, as an actor. So there's actually an episode in my podcast and my vlog where you can actually see me finding out that I got this job that I had been pursuing for over three and a half years. So the fact that I decided to document my life, um, people got to share in that joy with me, which was really cool because some people were really actively rooting for me to make my living as an actor uh, and, and they got to share in that. So that was cool. And also uh, it's cool to think that my kids and my grandkids will be able to watch it back when I was less gray and less wrinkled <laughs> to see my, 
my grinding as I as I pursued my dream job while also keeping my day job. Um, so anyway, that's my info. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on, man. I really do. Well, I love it, man. I, your story, uh, I, obviously, having been a guest on your show, I didn't really get a deep dive into your story. Yeah. But, um, it was inspiring. I, I'm, I'm thankful that you were as um, open and authentic with your, your past. Not everybody's willing to come out and share that. Um, I think the, the beauty of life is that not any one moment in it is singularly ex- exclusive. They are all tied into the next and the one before it. And that, you know, where you are today is a byproduct of the, the steps you took along the way. So it's, it's not a, uh, it's not anything to hide from or run from. It's something to embrace because it's, it's, you wouldn't be you today had you not experienced um, the highs and lows that you went through. So I think it's a beautiful thing that you were able to share that. And I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And one last thing I'll just, if anybody, um, if you are interested Every bit of content that I create is, you can find it on jeffreydesiato.com, even Discover Springport. Um, but I will just put in a plug for the Jumpstart video series. It's free. So you sign up on email and you get uh, a weekly video for 12 weeks uh, just to kind of get you on the path to starting to figure out what it is that you were created to do. Um, I've just found it beneficial for myself to articulate those things and you might as well. So, And that's one of the things I'm passionate about, as I said, is helping other people figure out what they were created to do because I've been blessed enough to, to figure it out. And now to be making my living doing it, uh, I want to share the wealth as it were. So thanks awesome. for the opportunity. And I'll put everything on the social media, on the Facebook and, and, and LinkedIn and everything else. Um, all those links will be on there as well. Um, Hank Plate, we're going to talk off the air. Um, want to close out the show. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Two Dates in the Dash podcast. Thank you to my very special guest, my buddy, Jeff Desiato. And, uh, you know, if you are struggling with anything in your life, uh, acknowledging it and giving it um, value and and acknowledging the the value it had in your life is something that I think everybody should do. Um, The good stuff and the bad stuff, you know, life isn't simply what you put on Facebook. There's a whole lot more to it. And uh, I'm thankful that I have a show that I I get to help people put that out into the universe and and, um, share their truth. So thank you everybody. God bless and be kind to one another.